for a guru of some sort who is a, a hermit living on the top of this remote mountain. And what the guy wants to do is that he wants to question this wise man about the meaning of life. And so he's made this long, arduous journey, and he wants to ask the question about life. Why am I here? What is my purpose? And so forth. I think you can sort of visualize that because it has been depicted so many times uh, as to what some what people do. You know, because we're seeking for this answer. What is life about? In reality, men do want to know and actually need to know certain important questions like, where did I come from? Why am I here? Where am I going? Those are all reasonable questions and men do want the answers. And the good news, of course, is that the answers are available. You don't have to scale a mountain to talk to some guru or wise man who's living up there on the top of that distant mountain. You don't have to do that. In fact, the answers to those questions are within arm's reach. Pick up your Bible and read it. And it tells you all those necessary answers. The God of the universe has revealed Himself to us in His Word. He's told us about His mind and His will, and we can know. In Acts chapter 17, we recently studied that in one of our Wednesday night classes. In Acts chapter 17, Paul addressed some who were searching. Uh, they were searching for meaning, quite obviously, and their uh, approach to it is that they had reverted to idol worship. They were trying to figure out what life was about and why they were here, and so they had begun to worship idols. Paul taught them about the real God of heaven. And in that famous sermon on Mars Hill in Acts chapter 17, Paul stressed something about God. Concerning the real God of heaven, Paul said, He giveth to all life and breath and all things. That's Acts chapter 17 and verse 25. And we want to use that statement as the text for our study this morning. The God of heaven, the God of the very universe, this God, He gives to all life and breath and all things. That's our study this morning. Before we go further into the study, we'll stop to say thank you to everyone who's present. We're glad that you're here. Uh, we uh, especially welcome our visitors and we appreciate your presence this morning. We want you to come back as often and whenever you can. We're very open to your questions. We'd be glad to explain what we're doing here at College View and why we're doing it that way. Our purpose, our intention is to be able to give a thus saith the Lord, a book, chapter, and verse answer to our work and worship here at College View. So if you have questions, put us to the test and see if we can give you such an answer. We believe that we can. If we can't, then perhaps you can straighten us out. But by all means, we want to be doing God's will, and we want to be following the Bible just as carefully and closely as we can. We thank you all for being here this morning. God gives to all life and breath and all things. What about that? One of the lessons that we can draw from that is a statement about creation. God is our creator. He is the creator of life. It's rather amazing to me that men work so hard at trying to develop an explanation for our existence that excludes God. They try to take God out of the picture completely. And they are tirelessly trying to come up with answers by which they could say, well, this is how it happened. There is no God. They're working real hard at that. When in reality, if they looked around even most simply, they could see God and the very abundant evidence of God. In Romans chapter 1, verse 20, Paul said, The invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, 
being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Paul said, these things are clearly seen. Just take a simple look. Look around you. Look at the things that exist in this physical world. These things are clear. It's obvious from from the existence and design of our world and universe that there is a God. In fact, it is so obvious that Paul says that those who deny such things are without excuse. There's no excuse for looking around, seeing what God has made, and then saying, I don't believe there is a God. Why are men so adamant to deny this very clear truth? Let me give you an example of how hard they're working at that. You may have seen these quotes before. They're from a rather famous Harvard professor, a Nobel Prize winner named George Wald. And he was talking about how did life come into existence. He says, one has only to contemplate the magnitude of this task to concede that the spontaneous generation of a living organism is impossible. Now, get what he's saying. True evolutionists, atheistic evolutionists believe that there was nothing living here on planet Earth at one time. And then by some act that is indescribable, and they've never been able to reproduce it, somehow or another, a bit of energy acted on a piece of matter, and a living cell resulted. That's what they call the spontaneous generation of life. From non-living matter, life began. It spontaneously generated on its own. Life began out of non-living matter. And this Wald says, just, just thinking about that, uh, you have to concede that the spontaneous generation of a living organism is impossible. It just couldn't happen. Yet here we are as a result, I believe, of spontaneous generation. Now, if there ever was a self-contradictory statement, that is it. He says, I acknowledge that this is impossible, and yet I still believe in it. Now, a lot of times people of religious faith are criticized for believing. I think it's an unjust criticism, but i got to tell you, that's just a, 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 an idiotic statement. To acknowledge that something is impossible and yet still believe in it, that doesn't make sense. Now, why would someone hold so adamantly to the idea of spontaneous generation? Well, in another quote by this same man, he explained why he believes that. He said, when it comes to the origin of life on this earth, there are only two possibilities. Creation or spontaneous generation evolution. There is no third way. Spontaneous generation was disproved a hundred years ago. He's talking about the work of Louis Pasteur and others who, who, who proved that life could not come from non-living matter. But he says, but that leads us only to one other conclusion, that of supernatural creation. We cannot accept that on philosophical grounds. Therefore, we choose to believe the impossible, that life rose spontaneously by chance. Do you get that? He's honest enough to admit why he won't accept creation. He said, I just don't want to believe that. He said, I cannot accept that on philosophical grounds. Therefore, I'm going to continue to believe illogically and irrationally in what is impossible, that life sprang from non-living matter. Now, this guy was obviously an atheist, but at least he's honest enough to admit where he's coming from. And we need to understand that if you just look around, you're not going to reach his conclusion. You're going to reach the conclusion that there's a God of heaven who created everything. Life came from God. God giveth life. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, you remember in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And in the final part of that creation, 
He created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. God created. That's how life began. There's your answer. And it is a true and obvious one. In Revelation chapter 10, verse 6, it says, He created heaven and all the things that therein are, and the earth and the things that therein are, and the sea and the things which are therein. God is the Creator, and He's the answer to life. God is the Creator of life. We need to accept that reality. It is an essential thing to know. So He gives to all life, and based upon that, I think a second point we want to stress is life is therefore sacred. Since God gave life, life there, human life, especially what's under consideration, is sacred and needs to be honored. It seems that it should go without saying that life is sacred, but God has seen fit through all the ages to stress the important sacredness of life. And events today continue to prove that it needs emphasis. We need to emphasize that life is sacred. Right after the flood in the days of Noah, in Genesis chapter 9 and verse 6, God said, Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed, for in the image of God made he man. Now notice, if you kill a man, if you shed his blood, then your blood will be shed. Why? Because man is created in the image of God. Life, therefore, is sacred. We need to honor that. We need to appreciate it. There's no realm in which this obvious truth of the sacred, uh, sacredness of life is more grossly violated than in the matter of abortion. When we continue to think about the numbers of innocent babies that are killed continuously, it is truly a national disgrace. In the 40 years since abortion was made legal in 1973, there have been almost, probably now, exceeding 55 million babies killed by abortion. Uh, the latest numbers are estimated from 2011, and so we're over a year past that, so we're, we're well past 55 million babies that have been killed. Now, I want to see if I can help you just for a minute, try to put that in perspective. Remember what we're stressing here is the sacredness of life. God gives life. He is the creator of it. He's the sustainer of it. Therefore, since God gave it, it is sacred and should be honored. Abortion is, beyond any doubt, the, the most horrendous violation of the sacredness of life that has ever come down the pike in the history of man. 55 million killed just in the United States in the last 40 years of legalized abortion. Now, here, try to put, try to put this in perspective. If you broke that down, and I've checked my numbers two or three times to make sure my calculator wasn't overrunning its limits, that's 3,750 abortions performed every day, on average, every day, since abortion was legalized in 1973, there have been 3,750 abortions performed every day, on average, for those 40 years. 40 years... 3,750 babies killed every day for 40 years. Is that amazing? You know how many people can fit on a 747 jumbo jet? Five, I checked this. 540 people can ride on a 747. And so this is the equivalent. What we've been doing in killing unborn babies is the equivalent of seven 747s crashing every day for the last 40 years. Can you imagine that? 
What if, what if there was one 747 crashing every day? Well, they, they, they would uh, ban 747s from the air. Seven, 550, 540 people dying every day? No way. What if a 747 was crashing once each month? Well, there, there wouldn't be any more 747s. We would have put that plane out of commission a long time ago, just killing 540 people a month. What if on average, since they came up with 747 so many years ago, what if on average one of those had fallen from the sky randomly every year? They still would have banned 747s from being produced and used, right? Just kill 540 people. People would be in an outrage. This is the equivalent of seven 747s crashing every day for the last 40 years. And we're still doing it. Is that amazing? Is that shocking? Does that tell you the extreme nature of this violence against life? People not holding life sacred? Here's another number that I think emphasizes how awful this is. Look at that number. 1,326,000. You know what that is? That's the number of people who have been killed in war in the United States from the revolution back in 1775 until present, counting all the military actions taking place to present. In all the wars that the United States has ever fought, 1,326,000 men have died. Now, that's awful. We all acknowledge that that is an awful thing, a, a terrible price to pay. It doesn't even hold a candle to how many innocent babies have been killed in just the last 40 years. And we're stressing the sacredness of life. Life is sacred. In Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 through 19, you know this passage. These six things that the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination to him, a proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. Especially stress that. Hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, feet that be swift in running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among brethren. Hands that shed innocent blood. Is there any better description of those who perform abortion than it be those who shed innocent blood? Certainly it condemns those who perform the abortion. It condemns those who legislate and make legal such a horrendous thing. I think it also condemns those who would support and even endorse even political candidates who would perform such horrid acts. I believe surely that's enough said. But we're stressing that God gave life, and therefore life is sacred and needs to be honored. We should also point out that since God gave life, and notice not only did He give life, but He gives breath and all things. Everything is given by God. It's not just life. We've been talking about His creative work and the giving of life. But He also continues to bless us with all things. It's not just life, but it's all the things essential to sustain life and even more than that. Since God gives all things, we should be grateful and good stewards of what He has given. Doesn't that seem to make sense? Since He's given us everything, first of all, we should be thankful for that. And then we should use those things effectively in his service. Think of it this way. What if you gave me an amazing gift? Just something off the charts wonderful. Uh, you know, I've told you before, I always wanted a Corvette. So you, you, in your deep generosity, buy me a new Corvette. There's a new one coming out. I don't know if you know that or not. And it's, it's, it's really something else. And so out of the deep generation of, generosity of your heart, you give me a brand new Corvette. 
And then what do I do? Well, first of all, I never even said thank you. I mean, these things are tremendously expensive, but you gave me one, and I never even took the time to say thank you. And then on top of that, I just abused this beautiful new car, drove it crazily, crashed it into things, and just abused it till, in short order it was wasted and worth nothing. What would you think of that? Well, you'd think I'm just some kind of horrible person, wouldn't you? And rightfully so. Who could do a thing like that? When you receive an amazing gift, then you should be grateful and you should use it appropriately, right? Well, what about God? God is the giver of life and He gives us all things that pertain to life. We should be grateful and good stewards. You understand the idea of stewardship? A steward is one who uses what belongs to another. It's the, the use of these things is entrusted. Someone else, they belong to someone else, but they are entrusted to the steward, and the steward uses them to the advantage of the one who put him in charge of the use of his things. That's what we're supposed to do with life and all that pertains to it that God has blessed us with. In James chapter 1, verse 17, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. God gives us everything. Be thankful. Be thankful and use them to bring glory to His name. He gives us physical things. And of course, even more abundantly, He gives us great spiritual blessings in His Son, Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 4, verse 10 says, As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. I think here Peter's especially thinking of the spiritual blessings that God has showered upon us. We should use them as stewards. Finally, let me suggest to you, in progression, we said God is the creator of life, and life is sacred, should be honored. We should use what he's given to us uh, as good stewards. Finally, we make the point, if we're talking about life, we have to emphasize that life is brief, death is certain, judgment is coming, and eternity awaits. Uh, that progression has to be acknowledged. We're here, we're living but it's not forever, and it's actually not for very long. Life is brief. Death is certain. Have you ever known anybody who didn't die? Now, there, there are a few people recorded in the Bible who didn't die. Uh, we could think of Enoch. We could think of Elijah. Uh, there are a few who didn't die. You've never known anyone who didn't die. Death is a reality, right? Hebrews 9.27 says, It's appointed unto men once to die, and after this the judgment. So we're going to die. Death is certain. Judgment is coming. Just as certain as life and death is judgment that's coming and then an eternity beyond that. Think about that. Unless you just stick in your head in the sand, you have to acknowledge these things as being so. And therefore, it only makes sense to be preparing for these eventualities. Here's an interesting way of stating the, the brevity of life. In 2 Samuel 14, 14 says... For we must needs die and are as water spilled on the ground which cannot be gathered up again. That's what our life is like. Like water spilled on the ground. It's gone and it won't be gotten back. That's the way we should view life. A, a more famous statement along those lines is in James chapter 4, verse 14. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. You're not here for long. You know, we've got Yancey's back there and got a new baby at his house. So precious, a new baby. But you know, even if that new baby, if we held him in our hands this morning, 
we'd have to say for that brand new baby, he's not here for long. Because even if he lives to be a ripe old age, which we pray he will, he's got just a few years here on this earth. Life is a vapor. It appears for a little time, and then it vanishes away. You know that's right. There's no denying that. You're not going to live forever. And since you're not going to be living forever, what should you do? Well, you've got to make preparation for death and judgment because in eternity, you want to spend that forever with God in heaven. You do not want to suffer the horrors of hell forever. Life is a vapor. It appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Jesus told the famous parable of the ten virgins to stress this importance of preparation. We won't read all of what Joel read for us earlier, but you remember the parable starts out, the kingdom of heaven will be likened to ten virgins which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom, and five of them were wise and five foolish. You remember the five wise virgins had taken their lamps and extra oil for their lamps so they could continue to be ready until the bridegroom appeared. The foolish virgins, on the other hand, did not take any supplemental oil for their lamps. Their lamps went out. And then they were not ready when the bridegroom came. They had had to go elsewhere to try and buy some oil. And while they were gone, the bridegroom came and they were excluded from the feast. Jesus made the point when he said, Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. You don't know when this might happen. Your life could end today. Any tragic thing could happen just without, without warning. The other day, Jack and Cindy were in a horrible head-on collision. Thanks God that they were not seriously injured in that crash. But it could have taken their lives quite easily. It was a crash of that nature. It could happen to you today. Now, we're not saying it is. We pray that it doesn't. But it could happen, right? You could be struck ill, die suddenly. Anything could happen. Jesus could return. And if you're unprepared, then you've just missed it all. We need to understand life given by God and very sacred to be used as good stewards, but it's brief at best. Death and judgment are coming. Eternity awaits. Are you ready? What is your state of readiness in regards to that impending judgment? And eternity? We need to make sure that God 